everyone, and welcome to The Scoop. I'm Dinah Jansen, and I have the great pleasure to welcome back into the virtual studio, Dr. Mark Richardson from the McDonald Institute here at Queen's University. Hi, Mark. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. So folks out there in the radio world, uh, Mark often comes to visit our studios to tell us all about great stuff happening right here at Queen's University at the McDonald Institute. And there are a couple of events coming up. It's one this week and one on March the 4th, the Ignite virtual event on March the 4th. And I also understand a really interesting watch party and panel discussion related to the NASA mission happening this Thursday uh, on Mars, <laughs> not here at yeah. CFRC, on Mars. <laughs> we'll have to enjoy it here, but yes, I think all the excitement is happening there. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so um, let's let's talk about the Ignite virtual event first, if we can, Mark. Uh, can you remind us and our listeners um, what the Ignite lecture series is? And for this particular event on March 4th, who's presenting at the event and upon what themes will they speak? Yeah, so Ignite is an exciting event bringing the Queens and Kingston communities together in an evening of innovation and discovery. So the McDonald Institute and Queens University Relations have been running Ignite since I think it's been 2018 now. And we, of course, stopped as a result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But recognizing the entertaining and, and informative role of Ignite and the hope that it inspires the public to explore more ideas of research, we've decided to pivot back to it, but we have to run it virtually. So Ignite Virtual is an online forum really to hear exciting stories of research happening in the Queen's labs and beyond. And so we feature incredible faculty and their students and give behind the scenes looks at the research. Uh, this event in particular will include lots of time for Q&A um, and we hope that those joining online in online will be able to engage with that. Um, and you know, the ultimate hope of this program is that Ignite Virtual acts as a spark that ignites the curiosity of audiences young and old. Now, as you say, we have a number of speakers. And so the March 4th event will feature uh, first Dr. Nahi Park, mm -hmm. an astral particle physicist. She's, she's new faculty here at Queens University. And it's, it's so incredible. Her research takes her to Antarctica where she uses these special telescopes that are carried up above the atmosphere in balloons. Whoa. And now, yeah, like, and by being above the atmosphere she can actually use these telescopes to search for these really, really rare energetic particles that are coming from these weird cosmic accelerators, like the cores of, of distant galaxies. And so she uses this telescope to be able to do this kind of discovery and understand these, these cosmic accelerators. And joining her is Emma Ellingwood, and she's a grad student here at Queen's University, but actually worked with Dr. Park during her undergrad. And so Emma is going to speak a little bit about the role that she plays as a student in that story of research. The other faculty member that we have joining us is Dr. Kevin Delugio. So he's the professor and also the Dean of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. And his postdoctoral research fellow, uh, Dr. Elise Leande, is also going to be, be joining. Um, and they specialize in biomechanical engineering and their lab actually allows them to do this motion capturing. You think it's part of Hollywood. And so they can watch athletes as they walk around and move through space and time. And so the research allows them to understand the ways that our bodies change as a result of particularly their vigorous activity level. I don't think I get up to the, that kind of activity level as much as I would like to. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, th there's a lot of stresses that happen to their body. And so their lab is particularly placed to understand how that affects the body. Whoa, so many really neat things 
Oh, this is really exciting. Okay, so this is happening on March the 4th, virtually, as you said. So how can folks in the Queens and Greater Kingston community and even our global listeners, how can they access it? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the benefits of going virtual is really anybody can tune in. And so this will be airing live on YouTube at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and so those at home can find out more about this by going to our webpage, that's mcdonaldinstitute.ca slash event slash ignite slash uh, dash virtual. Um, or they could just go to the Facebook page for the McDonald, McDonald Institute. Um, so if you search McDonald Institute, you can find us there. Mm-hmm. Or you can find us on our YouTube page. So if you search McDonald Institute on YouTube, our page will come up and you should see our upcoming event right there, dead center. And it's important to McDonald Institute, as in Arthur B. McDonald, Canadian Astroparticle Physics Research Institute, and McDonald is MC, not MAC. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> Indeed. I've made that mistake before. McDonald. No. Nick. Nope. <laughs> All right. So hot take then. We know the, st- or the, the date is March the 4th, and uh, it is at 7 p.m., you said, EST? Yeah, 7 p.m. till around 8.45 Um of course, you know, depending on questions and, and how much um, how much interest there is there, we could end up going a little bit long to make sure we can accommodate those. Okay, so what's the star date? <laughs> I, I can't do that math. <laughs> you know, that qu- I'm uh, only an astroparticle physicist. <laughs> I feel like depending on whether you're in the prime universe or whatnot, it, it changes what the star date calculation is. <laughs> Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so hot take. Mark doesn't know what the start date is, star date is, folks. <laughs> Sorry about that. We will move on. And yes, we're going to move on to another really exciting event happening this week, actually on Thursday. And this is the NASA mission on Mars and a watch party with a panel discussion, uh, which is being hosted by the McDonald Institute. And I understand in cooperation with the Queen's Observatory. Mark, break it down for us. What's happening? Yeah, really, the Queen's Observatory is taking the lead on this, and we, okay. we are helping them helping them happen. Um, but uh, because you're having me on, I wanted the opportunity to, to speak about it. But really, what is happening is, like we said, happening far, far away from here, obeying all uh, social distancing rules. Perseverance is a new rover that is going to Mars. It's actually been on uh, over a six-month journey on its way there. And so it's going to Mars to further our understanding of both that planet, but in turn that tells us more about even our own planet here on Earth. And so Perseverance is particularly exciting because it's the first part of a planned sample return mission. What that means is it's gonna prepare a sample of Mars rock and and, and regolith um, that a future mission is going to go to Mars, collect that and return it here to Earth so that we can study it. We have a number of meteorites here that came from Mars, but they've all been affected by that journey. And so being able to kind of keep it in lab conditions the whole way, I think we're going to learn a lot. Possibly is there life or has there ever been life on Mars and, and maybe other other cool stuff. Oh, that's so, really cool. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's been in the plans for for decades. And so it's finally happening. And so the event itself, the way it's going to work, it's going to follow along. Um, NASA is going to be doing a live feed as Perseverance makes this final part of its journey. 
but along the way, it has a bit of a terrifying landing process. There's a number of steps from parachutes and, and uh, jetpacks and, and cranes. It's crazy. Um, and if you want to find out all about the details there, make sure you tune in. But what's really like kind of terrifying is it's so far away. We can't have a call with Mars like you and I can right now. There'd be a 10, over a 10 minute kind of delay wow. between parts of the phone call, but the whole landing only takes seven minutes. So before we even know that the landing has started, it's actually already over. We just don't know yet. Right. So we, we have to wait for the seven minutes of like terror is what they call it to find out even if it was a successful landing or not. <laughs> it's so literally a nail biter. If I could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At the same time, because how many hundreds of millions of dollars have been invested in? Oh no, where where did it go? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. And that has happened, but um, I think they've they've learned a lot about how to make these things work, and we're going to be able to hear about that by featuring this event with a panel of experts that can talk to about all the different aspects of the mission. Yeah, let's hear about some of the experts that are going to be speaking on this panel who's talking and, and what are the themes that they will talk about so we have we have a fantastic panel lined up so there's sarah mazrui she's a science communicator and planetary scientist and you can find her on twitter at at sarah sarah s-a-r-a no h and uh, she'll be able to speak to the, the process of, of interplanetary um, missions and, and really, I think just, she's such an excellent science communicator. I think she'll, she'll be a great presence on the panel. She'll be joined by Max King. He's an aerospace expert and mechanical engineer at MDA, one of Canada's leading uh, aerospace um, companies. And he can be found at, at Space for Canada on Twitter. So then we have James Xi, who's a former Queens um, uh, alumni, um, who was part of the Queen Space Exploration Team here. Um, so he used to be involved actually at Ignite events where he would bring the rover that they built so that people could actually see how this kind of structure works. So he can, he can speak a bit to like, what is it like to actually try to build a rover? And then last but not least, we have Lauren Edgar. She's a planetary geologist at the USGS. Um, and she's a research science team actually for the Mars Space Laboratory and the Mars Exploration Rover. And she was at Arizona State University when I was doing my PhD there. So um, it'll be great to have her back and, and see what she's been up to. And she's hoping to get to use some of Perseverance's data to do her own science. All right. So, Mark, as the uh, education and outreach officer for the McDonald Institute, what excites you most about this event? I mean, really, it's like I'm somebody that just loves how people respond to things. And what I remember about Curiosity's landing back in 2012 is because we, ha again, had that NASA, that NASA um, uh, live feed when we were doing an event. And it's seeing the team, the people that have put their blood, sweat and tears into making this mission, you're seeing them in the room. And when they get that word that this has landed, that it's successful, they're all jumping up and down. And I actually get really emotional just watching that moment of like, we did it. Now the amazing fun part can begin like that, that moment of expectation that like all the stress is over now, we can just do amazing science. But you, you get to live that vicariously through everybody you see there in the NASA panel. And that's the moment I can't wait to see. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so break it down for us one more time. When will this event be taking place and how can people access it? 
So the landing itself should be at about 3.30 on Thursday, February 18th. So the event is starting at 2.30 to, to get us caught up on the NASA feed. Um, and again, it's being hosted by the Queens Observatory. So if you go to their Facebook page or their YouTube account, you're going to find the event posting there. Okay, great. So, and it's freely accessible to anybody who wants to watch. Everything we've talked about today is free. Please join and engage with the, 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 different, the different systems. Well, it sounds like a pretty out of this world experience. <laughs> oh, I've always <laughs> wanted indeed. to say that. Oh, yes. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Folks, we have been chatting with Mark Richardson from the McDonald Institute about the Ignite virtual event happening on March the 4th, as well as the watch, live watch party and panel event on Thursday for the NASA mission, the the Perseverance rover landing on Mars Thursday afternoon. Mark, thank you so much for joining us once again here on CFRC. Donna, thanks so much for having me. It's always a blast to be here. Good evening, everyone. You're tuned in to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM. Thank you so much for joining us. Moving on to local and community as well as Queen's University campus news updates for you folks. As of February 13th, the Society of Graduate and Professional Students, also known as the SGPS, released their results of the 2021 elections. There was a turnout of 19.5% which was 796 electors of 4,073. Emile Matisse, who is nominated for the position of Graduate Student Senator of the Society of Graduate and Professional Students for the 2021-2022 year, was voted in yes with a majority vote of 91.9%. Justine Aman, who is the current president of the Society, was re-elected into the president for the SGPS with 93.9% of the votes voting yes to her. There was also the acclamation of Anthony Lomax to the position of vice president campaigns and community affairs to the SGPS, a position that he also held this past term with a voting yes of 94.1%. Courtney Bannerman won the vote against Gina Azer for the Vice President of Finance and Services to the SGPS for the next term. And Jennifer Lee had 95.4% of the votes being yes for her position of Vice President Professional of the SGPS. So congratulations to all those who were elected into office and we look forward to all the amazing work that the SGPS is going to do for its students. For more than 20 years, Operation Warm Feet has been working to supply winter footwear to children and youth who need it, and this year was no exception. With the 2020 campaign facing unprecedented challenges posed by COVID-19, Operation Warm Feet has so far distributed almost 500 pairs of boots to youth throughout Kingston. Operation Warm Feet is a program run by the Kingston Community Health Centers and has been providing children up to the age of 18 from low-income households with winter boots and accessories since 1999. OWF gratefully receives knitted goods and monetary donations from local organizations, businesses, and individuals in the community. 
the United Way saw the need early on and became a huge supporter, providing 60% of the needed resources annually. Monetary donations are used to buy new boots at a reduced cost through longtime partner Downtown Giant Tiger. People often take having proper footwear for granted, but for so many families, it's a constant worry, said Helen Maberly, who is the manager of the Family and Community Health at the Kingston Community of Health Sciences. Seeing the number of boots distributed grow year after year shows the generosity and compassion of the community. With many families struggling through tough financial times, the need for community-based programs is greater than ever, which is why the continued contributions from individuals and local businesses like Downtown Giant Tiger are so important. The pandemic presented several new challenges for residents of the KFLNDA region, but Operation Warm Feet has worked hard to make sure cold feet aren't among them. Forecasting increases in demand, Operation Warm Feet has taken steps to ensure that the health and safety of volunteers and boot recipients. Unlike previous campaigns, OWF did not have a one-day pickup for boots, but distributed boots through local elementary and high schools in Kingston. OWF also removed the $2 purchase with pride cost and gifted the boots during this time of hardship for our community families. Seeing the total amount of knitted and monetary donations this year brought tears to my eyes, said Stephanie Wheeler, who is the program coordinator for Operation Warm Feet. Donations are a significant part of what makes OWF possible. The more support we get, the more children and families we can assist. OWF and KCHC would like to thank past, current, and future donors for their ongoing support during these uncertain times. Fundraising efforts for the 2021 campaign have already started, and they are hoping to raise $12,000 to meet the ever-rising need for warm feet smiles for our Kingston-area children. For more information on how to make a tax-deductible donation to OWF or to get involved, contact Stephanie W., which is S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-W at kchc.com. The province of Ontario has postponed March break for students and teachers from March 15th to 19th to the week of April 12th. Stephen Lech, who is Ontario's Education Minister, announced the decision on Thursday afternoon from Queen's Park. Postponing March break, not cancelling it, is an important way that schools can help to limit community transmission. I recognize that this is one more change in a year that has been challenging for so many students and our education staff who continue to work so hard, but is one made on the best advice of public health officials to keep them safe and to keep our schools open in this province, he said. He further added that the province's decision was made through consideration of the advice of medical experts and that, and I quote, congregation is a key driver of the spread of COVID-19. He also noted the decision was even more critical as the new COVID-19 strains from the UK and South Africa have appeared in the province. The decision to postpone March break has not been an easy one, but necessary to keep Ontario families safe. We are governed by advice by the medical community to limit the potential for transmission and really limit or try to prevent a scenario we saw over the holidays where there was just a massive spike of transmission and positivity of our kids he said. Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. David Williams, added comments stating that when pupils and teachers take their March break in April, they should still avoid travel and remain in their region. We are not encouraging travel, Williams said. We wouldn't encourage that. 
We don't want a lot of interprovincial travel either, as well as international, definitely at this time, with the very much rising rapid issue of variants of concern. Shortly after the announcement, Ontario's four teachers unions, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, the Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association, and the Association des Enseignants et des Enseignants Franco-Ontariens released a joint statement stating that each were strongly opposed to the government's plan to postpone March break. These are unprecedented times, and this is a much-needed break for students, teachers, education workers, and families who have been under tremendous pressure throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. The government's decision to postpone March break does not take into consideration the mental health and well-being of those involved. While many university classes across Canada are being held online, some programs require in-person learning and access to on- and off-campus research and learning facilities. This increases the risk of exposure for students, faculty, and staff to SARS-CoV-2, which is a virus causing COVID-19. To address this, the Government of Canada is investing $223,161 through Canada's COVID-19 Immunity Task Force to support a research study looking at SARS-CoV-2 transmission and immunity on the Queen's University campus. Led by Dr. Anne Ellis, Professor of the Departments of Medicine and Biomedical and Molecular Sciences with co-investigators Dr. Stephen Vanner and Pramit Shet at Queen's University, the study will recruit 500 students from the Faculty of Health Sciences who are not showing any symptoms. These are students who have direct and routine interactions with each other, the general public, and ambulatory and inpatient populations at the Kingston Health Sciences Centre putting them at greater risk of exposure to the virus. Researchers will test the students for active COVID-19 infection and will test their blood for the presence of antibodies suggesting they had a previous infection. Both types of tests will be repeated on all participants three more times over eight months in order to capture any changes in infection rates and antibody levels. The study has two primary objectives according to Ellis. First, she stated, we want to identify carriers of the virus with no symptoms to determine the prevalence of asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection among these students. Second, we will evaluate antibody levels for any change from negative to positive or vice versa over the eight-month period to see whether it can be linked to immunity. Using follow-up questionnaires, researchers will determine students' degree of anxiety and their coping mechanisms to make correlations between mental health status and changes in their COVID-19 testing status. They will look at changes in mental health status associated with learning about COVID-19 test results for active infection and for immunity. Further, the study will also evaluate the likelihood of the students becoming infected with the virus and developing antibodies, Ellis added. Participants will complete a questionnaire to establish associations between their test results and other factors such as demographics, physical health measurements, lifestyle factors, medical history, travel history, COVID-19 related history, COVID-19 prevention practices, exposure, and testing. Dr. Allison McGeer of the COVID-19 Immunity Task Force Leadership Ground and a professor at the University of Toronto sees a real need for this study as 
and she quotes, the COVID-19 pandemic has radically shifted the post-secondary educational landscape and many institutions are grappling with decisions about student safety, returning to campus, and about how to protect their physical and mental well-being. She went on to note that in light of the significant spike in cases in several areas in Canada throughout wave two of the pandemic, we need studies giving us more data and these studies will do it. Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Theresa Tam, also supports the study led by Dr. Ellis. The results from this research study will directly inform the pandemic management policies and procedures implemented by universities and the public health regions where they are located across the country, said Tam. Further, to support campuses as safe places to live and learn, Tam added, it is important to assess rates of COVID-19 and risk factors for infection in these close-knit institutions to protect university students, faculty, and staff. For any COVID-19 updates based on the KFLN Day region, you can always go to the KFLN Day Public Health website to check the COVID case count numbers. And don't forget that the Breach Grove Assessment Center is open for asymptomatic testing, as well as for Queen's University students, you can get um, tested for COVID-19 at the Satellite Assessment Center located um, in Mitchell Hall. As you folks know, last week, as of Wednesday, February 10th, we moved into the green zone here in the KFL and Day region. We are one of um, four regions to move into this. Um, but tomorrow, a lot of changes are happening within our area just in terms of what's kind of operating and different hours and what's opening up and stuff. So as of tomorrow, February 16th, the Kingston Area Recycling Center at 196 Lappins Lane returns to normal operating hours. The Recycling Depot and Yard Waste Drop-Off will then be open Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And Green Bin replacement ones and blue gray boxes will also be available in the administrative building on Monday to Friday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Tomorrow Kingston Transit will return to the service levels that were in place prior to the stay-at-home order so express routes will operate within a 30-minute service from approximately 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. and the express service will increase during morning and afternoon peak times at a 15-minute service except for route 801 and 802 which will still run on a 30-minute service. The Invista Center has been open um, for a few days now on 1350 Gardeners Road, as well as the Artillery Park Aquatic Center. Um, tomorrow, the Rideau Heights Community Center at 85 Macaulay Street reopens, and the library will be reopening on February 19th, um, as well as the Cataraqui Community Center will also be, um, the ice surfaces will be available to permitted users as of February 19th as well. The Springer Market Square Ring still remains open with COVID-19 measures in place. Many outdoor rings are open with different safety precautions, so just remember to stay safe by maintaining physical distance from others and following the signage that is posted. Um, the Pump House Museum, located on 23 Ontario Street, will reopen for private pre-booked small group tours and children's programs on February 17th, so on Wednesday, and you can check the website for more information about that. The Baby Grand at the Grand Theatre will reopen tomorrow on February 16th for rentals based on COVID-19 restrictions as well. Don't forget, folks, if you're looking for something virtually to do, um, KCFF is coming up shortly on February 26th. 
Um, CFRC, we are a proud sponsor of the Kingston Canadian Film Festival, and there are some really amazing films happening, and KCFF is running longer this year. It's not just over um, four days as it usually is. It's a week, so it's February 26th to March 7th, um, and you can go to kingcanfilmfest.com and check out all the lineup, and you can buy your movie tickets. They're only $12, which is amazing, or you can buy the passes, um, the six film, nine month, uh, nine film or the 12 film pass which is really awesome and they also have some really amazing panels and workshops they have the film scoring panel which i myself am very interested in and this is for any musicians who are interested in making music for film it is the film scoring panel happening on saturday march 6th at 4 p.m um they'll be joined by um, Berlin's Martin McPhail, who has worked on films like Bird Box, The Girl on the Train, Bad Times at the El Royale, Fifty Shades of Grey, Top Gun, Maverick, The Blade Runner 2049 prequel, um, and they will also be joined by Australian-Canadian composer Michelle Osis and Terry Benn, who scored the music for Bloodthirsty, which is a film that's screening at KCFF. Um, this is free, but pre-registration is required, and there's also um, some really other cool workshops. There's the Breaking In event, um, which is for those interested in working in the film industry which is happening on friday march 5th at 4 p.m you can connect with industry professionals for serious advice on how to break in and get started in the canadian film and media industry and registration is required for this as well but it is free and then there's also the awesome comic art workshop which is backed by popular demand and they're going digital with this of course and they're going to highlight dynamic figure drawing and storytelling using the classic comic book styles and this is perfect for all ages and all skill levels and it's 20 dollars per student so go on the website kingcanfilmfest.com to reserve your spot right now and then there's of course lots and lots of q and a's happening with the directors of the film um after the post screening and whatnot um so you can take part by playing the film at the advertised start time and if you miss it that's so okay because you can still catch the pre-recorded q a's until the end of the festival just stream the film and the q a will start automatically after the closing film credits and another really, really um, awesome event is the Focus Film Festival, which is happening, um, actually kicking off the same night um, as KCFF, um, but go to focusfilmfest.com for all the amazing updates. It's a student-run Queen's University Festival. It is near and dear to my heart as well, but it's happening um, on February 26th next week um, with amazing judges and just really awesome um, student films, so be sure to check it out. We have a lot of awesome film programming happening in Kingston. You know, we just finished Reload, now we have Focus coming up, we have the awesome KCFF, so don't miss out go check these awesome events out especially because they're still able to happen even if it is online and just do your part in supporting our amazing queens and kingston partners um but thank you so much everyone for tuning in to the scoop on cfrc 101.9 fm i hope you have a great rest of your day i hope that you're enjoying this public holiday happy family day to everyone out there and just remember to stay safe everyone take care Thank you for listening to The Scoop, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.